on the Bill Michaels Show. Good to have you. Good to have you. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, Mike Clemens is going to be joining us. And we'll talk with him about the Packers, um, the uh, the rookie minicamp that was and such. Um, the, uh, the Albert Breer uh, of Sports Illustrated has, and, and we don't really, because Aaron Rodgers is gone and he's moved on to New York and he'll still make some headlines in certain cases, but Albert Breer wrote kind of the post-mortem on the back and forth of the Jets, Rodgers, the Packers. Um, he he kind of wrote what went down. And, Ben, I, I have read, i got to admit, I've read the majority of this. And was there anything in here that surprised you or that was revealing to you? Surprised? I don't know. They described Joe Douglas's actions when Roger said he when he attended to play for the Jets that Friday before the McAfee show. Mm-hmm. Right. And they described Joe Douglas like uh, I think it was Jonah Hill in Moneyball, just fist pumping the air because he was in his house and couldn't wake anybody up. Right. It wasn't surprising, but to know how how they feel over how desperate they were to get it done and how relevant they feel finally. Meanwhile, you have the other side of the coin, which is everybody here also uh, quite pleased, I would say, with the result. Yeah, it was um, basically it's the postmortem of how things kind of went down. Um, The way the Packers end up with what they call the viable alternative and flexibility as a result of all of this. Um, The, the, you know. They, they set up the meeting. Um, they were in town with uh, the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, and that was supposed to happen and didn't. And so they had all these different things that they had going on. And then you got Gutekind starting to gauge the interest in Rodgers from people that he trusted with other teams, careful both with whom he talked to and how he phrased questions. So Gutekind was kind of looking at certain things as to say, you know, what would happen, what would this interest be if, if he he says wants to move on, what would you be interested in giving up, you know, which Rogers seemed to take offense to, you know. Um, the Jets had kind of gone through their own meetings with Robert Sala in person over Zoom. They interviewed a bunch of, you know, candidates for their offensive coordinator position, and it goes through the whole hiring process and, you know, with Rodgers deliberating and contemplating his future during his famed, quote, darkness retreat, Douglas Gudikins then started feeling out the process on what the parameters of the trade could possibly be. But I, I guess, was there a point in there, Ben, that you started to read this from Albert Breer, which is in Sports Illustrated, and I, I'll repost it. But was there a point in there when you thought some of this stuff that Rodgers said, the timeline that he gave, it wasn't true? Right? Because had, you know, he comes out of the darkness and says he wants to play for the Jets, but going into the darkness, there was this discussion about whether or not he wanted to play for the Jets or would even still be around. Rodgers had not given any indication that he wanted to at that point. And as a matter of fact, he was he had told the world that he was 90% with a foot into the retirement door. 
Um, yeah, maybe I'm an idiot, but I kind of already assumed that to be true. You know, yeah. Most of the I, stuff I get, we heard, I kind of, I, I heard it all. It's like that kind of sounds like crap, and I'm sure that this has been worked on yeah. for quite some time. It, it is. Um, it, it it looks like some of the stuff Rogers was saying. It was true, but it wasn't true in the way he said it. You know, it's it's Gudikins wasn't shopping around, so to speak, to say, hey, he's available. What do you want to give us? He was saying, look, we, you know, he, he may want to come back. And if he does, you know, great. But if he doesn't, he doesn't want to play for us. You know, what, what do you guys think he's worth? So he was asking around. And as as it talks about, you know, people were calling to say, hey, if Rodgers is available, you know, what are you looking to get? And Gudikins was saying, what what do you feel he's worth? He wasn't really – I mean, you can call it shopping around, I guess. But the the way it was implied was that Gudikins was actively picking up the phone and writing down and saying, you know, what would you give us? And he's going to give us this guy, you know, okay, whether or not we – that wasn't it. It was just for the first time in a long time, it was a very soft – discussion about the possibility of Aaron Rodgers playing for another team and what that might be worth to someone. And so Albert Breer tries to go through those six days of going into and coming out of the darkness and discussions that had taken place that hadn't taken place, things that were and weren't stated where you know, trying to get into the head of what Rodgers was thinking a little bit, trying to, 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 to lead you down a path of, yeah, it wasn't all that it was stated to be. Here's what actually happened. Um, but it, it does, at least on Rodgers' behalf, verify the fact that he had gotten wind that Gudikins was saying, you know, that he, maybe it was expressed to him that the Packers are shopping him around. So if I want to give Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt, I'll do that. That maybe, maybe it was expressed to him by the agent. But the agent, David Dunn, called in the middle of the night. Rodgers had just come out of the retreat, called the agent, and, which is funny because apparently he's able to call everybody else. What I took out of that was all these conversations that took place between the agent, the Jets, setting things up, Rodgers. Everybody got a hold of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers answered the phone and talked to everybody. I still go back to, and again, it's it's a moot point because it has no bearing really upon um, the the trade that went down, other than the pettiness of the former quarterback. But everybody else got contacted without a problem. And in this in this in this article, it says the calls were made, calls, not FaceTimes, calls. They were all made. Called Rogers, called David Dunn, David Dunn called Douglas, Douglas called, you know, I mean, everybody was calls or Zooms. And not once does it say, hey, the Packers tried numerous times to get a hold of Aaron Rodgers and FaceTime, he wouldn't answer, and this and that. Doesn't say all that. So, anyway, uh, it, it's a really interesting piece on the, you know, what led up to the uh, the timing of Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, being moved on. I also think uh, something that should be noted is the Packers entered wanting what Detroit got for Stafford, which was two first and a third. Jets obviously did not want to give up a single first, let alone both mm-hmm. of them. Uh, 
And as it directly quotes in the piece, quote, given that they had no assurances Rodgers would play more than one year, which they're trying to throw out now of, oh, yeah, we're confident uh, that he's going to stay for a couple years. We know how that's probably going to end. But the fact that Gutekinds was able to get what will become a first while it was less than they expected at the start, I think given where the Jets were at, I, I do think it has to be commended. Um, the, uh, by the time it was said and done, they talked about, you know, the comparison going back to when Favre was traded there, and it said that both, uh, to be fair, had no reason uh, or had reason to feel spurned by the 2008 Brett Favre transaction. I mean, you know, they just kind of felt like each side got their deal done, and it's in the past. The Jets on the other side of it, though, got a single player, out of, a single year out of Favre, lost a year of a championship window for the rest of the roster because of injury. Uh, but none of that gave Rodgers any reason not to forge ahead. Failing to talk directly with Rodgers, though, Gudikins, because he couldn't get a hold of him, Gudikins then began to talk directly to his representation, which was David Dunn on the situation, and communicated that the Jets had an interest in him while emphasizing that if there was going to be a split, the Packers just wanted to be cordial. They didn't want to do anything dastardly to him. Uh, Dunn agreed, and then the, the uh, at the near end of the combine, got back to Gutekinst and said, Rodgers wants to be a Jet. Douglas got back to Jersey from Indianapolis on March 5th. That night, Gutekinst called Douglas. It looks like Aaron wants to explore an opportunity with you guys. Gutekinst told Douglas, we're going to give you permission to talk to him. The Jets GM then immediately called Robert Sala and company, and they agreed to meet that Monday morning, March 6th, to map out the rest. They heard Rodgers just left New York to go home to California. They weren't going to ask him to fly back, so they resolved to ask Rodgers whether they could come join him in California on March 7th. Rodgers agreed, and they ended up booking a private jet to take him, Douglas, Sala, and everybody, Hackett, all to Morristown Airport near Camarillo. And just north of Rogers' home in Malibu. Uh, meanwhile, Johnson would fly in from Florida, and his brother, uh, Jets Vice Chairman uh, Christopher Johnson, they'd fly in from Colorado. Everybody met them. The plane can, carrying the contingent from Jersey battled 150-mile-an-hour headwinds all the way to California, leaving them almost an hour and a half behind schedule. Uh, they say it was a small price to pay for the potential. On the other hand, the Jets uh, plan moving uh, forward. They met. Uh, they really didn't have a, a plan other than arriving at Rogers Place in the afternoon uh, with the Santa Monica Mountains as the backdrop and a pristine beach setting below. All they wanted was for the quarterback to get to know them a little bit better, and it goes on from there. Uh, by the way, the uh, iPad uh, and uh, FaceTime was never, ever put into use. So, you know, and it goes, it goes on. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting transpiring of events leading up to the trade. Uh, of Aaron Rodgers, but to me, on one hand, I looked at it as, um, you know, Douglas, uh, or I looked at it as there was, I don't think Rodgers ever intended to come back to Green Bay, which I don't understand why then, and I'd love to ask him, why so much shade was thrown at the Green Bay Packers? Why? They did everything you wanted. They gave you everything you wanted. You didn't really want to come back, whether it was retirement or playing for somebody else. Why? Why make it seem uglier than it truly was? So, anyway, there's a lot of stuff there to chew on. 877-867-1670. 
Uh, once the trade papers came, Douglas pulled out his cell phone, took a picture, thinking about how wild it really actually was and what the documents in front of him meant. And then, you know what he did? Dialed the number and called Aaron Rodgers, which means he could get a hold of him. Again, it goes back to some of the little bit of shade that was thrown at the the organization. So uh, an interesting read. I'll post it over on Facebook. I'll retweet it, and uh, you can take a look at it for yourself and kind of draw your own conclusions. When we come back, I, I want to talk to uh, the uh, the man himself, the guy that was um, the uh, that was there this past weekend, uh, and that is our guy Mike Clemens. We'll talk about the players that were on the field in Green Bay as this team begins to move forward in yet a new era. Stay tuned. we got a whole lot more of the Bill Michael Show. It's all coming up next. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. This is always under construction. You're always building, brick by brick, every day, earning it. Welcome back. Good to have you. The Bill Michaels Show. Continuing on. And uh, bringing in our guy, Mike Clemens, to now join us and uh, talk a little bit about what went on this past weekend. Michael, how you doing, pal? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm, you know, a little little worn out after all the travel and over the weekend and such, but uh, back at it and Ben and I had a great time. In the meantime, you were working up in Green Bay and getting your first look up and close and personal with a lot of the new Green Bay Packers. It looks like uh, the, the folks from Viroqua were uh, friendly to the show, and we appreciate that. I'm at, uh, in Green Bay, and um, uh, you know what? You, you, you look around uh, at the practice field, Bill, and it's like you, it starts to sink in. And just like the last 24 months when you lose – Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon and now Mercedes Lewis, who you just heard there coming out of the break. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when we come back here for mandatory minicamp, the senior pass catcher is going to be Christian Watson <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or just right. Ayad Aguara. I mean, it's going to look like rookie minicamp when we're here back here in June, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we, we talked to Matt LaFleur about the tight end situation. And with with uh, Robert Tunyon signing with the Bears, we asked him Saturday night, would he welcome back Mercedes Lewis at 38 years old to help out this rookie class of tight ends? Yeah, he's a pro's pro. And you guys know how I feel about Mercedes. And, um, yeah, I think they could all, they would definitely learn. A lot of times these guys learn more from some of the players than they do from us uh, as coaches because they can give them little nuggets They've been in the fire. I always think that, said it to our guys, you know, I think player-led team is more powerful than a coach-led team, and we got a lot of young guys, which is is really exciting too. Um, but, yeah, I think anytime you know, you got a veteran guy like that that's played for as long as he's played at such a high level, um, I think it can be beneficial for everybody. Mike, uh, you know, we had talked about this. Is this team better or worse than the team that walked off the field after the uh, loss to the Detroit Lions at the end of the season. And the consensus is, you know, sometimes you're trimming the older, dead, slower wood to get better. Now, how much better they're going to be, we don't know specifically yet, but losing Mercedes, losing Tanyan, losing Cobb, losing Lazard, losing Mason Crosby, you know, it's a lot of veteran leadership. Does this team have to have a veteran or two to come back? I still think they could use a veteran receiver. 
put yourself in in any of the offensive coaching staff shoes right now, Bill. I mean, seriously, you know, we've lost all of those guys that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's great. We're getting, you know, a backfield that's got great experience. And then on top of that, Aaron Rodgers is gone too. Um, they have a lot of work ahead of them to try and even get close because experience at the end of the day when it comes to players means so much more at the NFL level. And LaFleur was asked, okay, we see a lot of talent. And I know some you know, pretty crusty senior beat guys that say, you know, Goodikins did pretty good in this draft. I mean, mm-hmm. he got a lot of good players in there. So LaFleur was asked Saturday night, uh, and we should point out after that quote there from LaFleur talking about Mercedes Lewis, the last night Bill Huber reports from Sports Illustrated, yeah, I, according to my sources, no, the Packers are moving on. They're not bringing back Mercedes Lewis. And then Mercedes put up a post on Twitter that talked about the journey in life and whatever. You know, it's time to turn the page and move on. So then LaFleur was at the, asked about the wide receiver thing. You know, last year they tried to help out with Sammy Watkins. Do they need to add a veteran receiver this year to this young roster? Yeah, I think, um, you know, time will tell. Uh, but it's certainly a, a very talented room that's uh, going to be a hell of a competition in terms of who's getting the snaps because just at first glimpse at some of these young guys that just were in here, uh, they are some talented guys, so they're going to be exciting to work with, and, you know, we'll kind of see how it how it goes. I'm sure it will be very a, a very fluid situation in terms of just how much we throw at them and then, you know, if need be, I know, I know Goody's going to do whatever he can to help us field the best possible team, and, um, you know, if need be, then I, I think we would – turn that way but right now i think we're gonna just let those guys compete you know mike uh and i i get it i still think you know i go back to when you get a couple of the young players in the defensive backfield and go back to the year that they won the super bowl and you start to talk about the guys like sam shield and company that really started to play well and i said how because how come you guys are starting to get so good nick collins how come you're starting to get so good and they all pointed at charles woodson he's the veteran he taught us how to study he showed us the way sometimes you need that even if that's not the biggest contributor like charles was to that team sometimes you need that so that's i think more so than anything where the question in my mind comes into play as to whether or not you need that so when you got a guy like alan lazard you know i mean he may not have been the best or cobb might not have been the best but sometimes you, you need that that guy that's been there done that in the room you know man that's an excellent example because even you think about tremont and how young he was at the time tremont williams yeah you know and and then you bring in that that also if you could get the basics down from with those guys uh then that met that let woodson play the field and get those right. picks, you know? So I, I wanted to talk about this situation. You know, I talked to some folks um, over the weekend uh, related to, to the team. And, you know, and we get into that situation where we're talking about uh, the, this mass exodus to the New York Jets. And I talked to this one official where it, we discussed, I said, yeah, he, there is, there's sort of in disbelief that Rodgers isn't here now. The reality is sinking in. Right. And and I said, you know, Lazard signs with the, the Jets and says that right after the loss to the Lions, not long after that, he was in New York kind of casing it out. Like he already knew he was going to move on. 
So he was Lazard was asked at his press conference. I dug this up to listen to it again. What attracted him the most to signing with the Jets? Here was was a big thing, knowing that I was going to be able to stay in the same offense, and more so the the role that these guys have um, presented to me that I could be in the locker room here to be a veteran guy, to be a leader in the wide receiver room. Um, you know, I have a lot of experience, um, obviously in primetime games, playoff games, and that's something that hasn't really happened too much here. Where were the Packers in this? Did they did they make an offer to keep you? Did they show interest in retaining you? No, not too much. I think, you know, they were in talks with my agent, um, but they didn't seem like they were going to miss me too much or anything. So um, I enjoyed my time there. And, you know, going into this last season, knowing that I wasn't getting an extension um, beforehand, and then it seemed like they wanted to retain me as well. I kind of had a, a strong inclination that it was going to be my last season there. So, Mike Lazard, I mean, he just basically said, look, they didn't have much of an interest in keeping me, right? Yeah, and let's go through a timeline, too. By last December, Woody Johnson is the owner of the Jets and says, hey, I think I got a pretty good head coach here, defensive-minded, and Robert Sala. I know that we've got a really good defense, and we've got some skilled players on defense and in special teams, and we've got a great running back. We've got some good receivers. If all we had was a quarterback, and, you know, look at the Buccaneers. They were loaded, and then, you know, Brady left. His divisional opponent went down there and won a game with, you know, the Buccaneers. Uh, Maybe if we're just one quarterback away. So you wonder if the Jets start thinking about this win. In fact, you know, there was these NFL rumors, but look at how all the dominoes have played out. You hire Nathaniel Hackett. That makes it more intriguing for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, then after the Jets give up on negotiating with Derek Carr because he ends up choosing the Saints, the very next phone call they pick up is they're going, to, they're flying out to L.A. and meeting with Rodgers. And according to Gutekunst, you know, Rodgers isn't returning my calls. And then when we finally call his agent, he calls us back over the weekend and says, yeah, we'd like to get traded to the Jets. So there's some folks that are in Green Bay like, man, this thing might have been going on longer than we thought. And, you know, I, I, I mean, LaFleur is left holding the bag. You know, mm-hmm. he's coming off right. a losing season. And now he's going to take over with Jordan Love. I, one guy I thought made an ex- excellent comment. We said, you know what? If LaFleur can show improvement each month of this season, and he can eventually in two, three years win a Super Bowl with Jordan Love, that would be even better if he won one with Aaron Rodgers. Because if he had beaten Tom Brady and the Buccaneers when they had the opportunity and won a Super Bowl with Rodgers, then they'd be saying to LaFleur, well, can he do one without Rodgers? Well, now, now we'll find out if he can do with one with Love. But you talked, you know, Lazard was asked this about what attracted him the most, besides the money, four years and $44 million and $22 million guaranteed. What were the main reasons he left the Packers for the Jets? A lot of things, honestly. Starting one, born and raised in the Midwest, Des Moines, Iowa. You know, played in Green Bay these past few years. But personally, for me, I just wanted to get to a big city. I wanted to get to a spot that especially has just a melting pot of culture and just be able to get that experience. You know, the bright lights, New York City. You know, I came out here for the first time a few months ago to get the experience of the city and everything. So that was something that really attracted me to come to New York. Another huge part was the coaching component. Coach Sala and Nathaniel Hackett. Really Hackett, obviously. Him and I have a previous history going back to Jacksonville. For me personally, one thing that I learned about Green Bay 
was that your day-to-day life is everything. You know, I mean, I had a great time, a great experience there. But, you know, if you're not going to work with the people that you love and care about and you're not all working for the same goal, you know, it makes it a lot harder. Knowing Hackett and our rapport and everything, being in meetings with him, you know, that's some of the funnest times I've had with football is being with him on the field and in the meeting room. So knowing that he was going to be here, knowing Coach Sala and his history, I gained a lot of respect for him when we played him in 2019 for the, we played him in the NC Championship game. And then we played him previously in, in the, um, the regular season as well. He was in San Francisco as a defensive coordinator. And the way that defense played, um, the way he was able to rally that group and the energy that he coached with, it was something that I very much noticed and took note to. And so knowing that he was here and seeing how these guys have played, playing them last year, and just knowing kind of him and him, obviously, Coach LaFleur have a um, a good rapport as well. So I've heard a lot of good things about Coach Sala, and those two big things were probably the reason why I came here. Let's do this. We're going to step away and take a quick break. I do want to talk a little bit about that when we come back, but uh, the need for the bright lights and the big city, I find... Mm, okay. Uh, let's do this. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Nice Ash Cigar Bar, 323 West Main Street, downtown Waukesha. Haven't been down in a while. Got to get back down and say hello to them as well. But uh, bourbons and whiskeys and just a good atmosphere. Music on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Different, different, huge walk-in humidor with different cigars, different flavors of hookahs as well. Can't go wrong. Nice Ash Cigar Bar, 323 West Main Street, downtown Waukesha. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The, t- the tight end class this year is one of the deepest we've seen in a while. Um, they're both all around tight ends that can kind of do everything. I mean, they're not uh, pigeonholed into you know being kind of you know only being able to receiving tight end or not or blocking tight end. They they can kind of do it all. They both have very good size, uh, very good speed. You know, so I'm, I'm excited. I, I do think both of their best football is ahead of them. You know, I think they do. They will complement each other, and they'll be a good fit for our, our room that we already have. Welcome back. Good to have you. The words of one Brian Goodekinst and uh, the Green Bay Packers and uh, getting ready for some of the talent that they have and such all throughout this team as the rookie camp over the weekend culminates. Uh, Mike Clemens, our guy on the ground uh, in Green Bay, uh, joining us for another segment on the program. And, uh, and Mike, so now you kind of look at life at Lazard, which I want to go back to what he said about, well, wanting the bright lights and wanting the big city. And, you know, it's almost like on the way out the care. door a little – is it a little kick towards Green Bay in some way, shape, or form? You know, in a way it is. Um, I, I think it's I – mean, here's a guy who's very loyal to Des Moines and got a foundation there and may go back there to raise a family. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm 26, 27. Um, I, I'd like to have a little bit more yeah, – I, I understand how to play football now. So, you know, I want to reach out and have a little more excitement in life, whatever. The Green Bay is very much, it's all football. They're all, that's all that there is to do. Okay, fine. Um, and you know what? That is a reminder that that happens to Green Bay when it comes to free agency decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. Who knows how many players that Goodekinst or Ted Thompson was willing to outbid other teams and some other major market got it just because they thought – Denver look like a better place to live or Miami or, or one of those kinds of markets. Right. Um, now, at the rookie orientation minicamp, as they call it, you know, Bill, I've told you in years past, um, hey, it's Greg Jennings' kid, uh, Central Michigan, and this guy's really good, you know, or 
It's James Jones. Look at the balls he's catching over the middle. How about him? Or, hey, this undrafted kid, this Tremont Williams, man, he's really fast. He's all over the field. This weekend, we went to both these practices, and then after about an hour, they escorted us out. So I asked LaFleur when he came to the press conference on Saturday night, I said, so, you know, did you get any 11-on-11? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did two periods. So they were doing 11-on-11, and they didn't let us see that. So, you know, just in case some receiver dropped the ball or some defensive back made a great play on a ball and an interception or something, we didn't get to see that. So I don't know if I can give you a lot of information like on Jaden Reed out of uh, Michigan State, who, you know, you want to see. So I got to tell you, the two guys that jumped out from the parts that I got to see were the two big tight ends. I mean, Tucker Craft is just huge out of South Dakota. He's six foot six. He's just, he's like standing next to a tree in the locker room. And he's also pretty funny because he was asked, so what's it been like trying to absorb this playbook and learning your way around the building here at Lambeau Field? Coming at you fast, learning this whole thing. I mean, we've gone through one install, but I can I can see here shortly it's going to be like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. <laughs> okay, so he's uh, mentally playing catch up, and I don't think I've ever drank uh, water out of a fire hose without losing my face. So you can tell that's never happened to me. But I I get it. I mean, that's a great description, though, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, but then I found out that one of the other kids too, Valentine at Carrington Valentine. And he kind of said the same thing in his huddle with the media. And I'm thinking, you know what? See, LaFleur was out of here on Friday. He went to the Great Guard Cancer Fundraiser in, in Madison. Mm-hmm. So Basaccio was actually running the show, the assist, now assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. That sounds like a Rich Basaccio kind of a yes. So in the meantime, yep. Tucker Kraft was also asked, so other than drinking uh, out of a fire hose, how's it going at rookie minicamp? It's a fun process, you know, and the coaches are all here to get us acclimated as fast as they can. That's their job. That's our job. Now we're, we're paid athletes, so it's, um, it's not really that stressful. It's fun. It's a, it's a process for sure, though. The, uh, the tight end position, Mike, I'm probably, you know, we know what Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs, Samari Torrey bring to the table, and you hope Jaden Reed accentuates that, but I'm really interested in this tight end class and both he and Luke Musgrave, uh, as far as their ability to be impactful players quickly because they're needed. You know what I mean? Right, and the gap is so wide right now when you look at these guys line up. So you know that Robert Tunyon ends up signing with the Chicago Bears, and he goes back home to Chicago. And now we learned last night for sure that Mercedes Lewis will not be back with the Packers. Then you really focus on these two kids. They're going to be competing along with Josiah DeGora, and then Tyler Davis, who I've not been too big on. I mean, he's a quarterback turned tight end. I guess he's had some nice stats on special teams. But Tucker Craft is the, you know, the the lunch pail guy out of South Dakota. You know, father passed away, mom was ill. And, you know, he's worked hard to get to this level out of South Dakota. Luke Musgrave, NFL pedigree, and his dad was a quarterback at Oregon. You know, his uncle Bill played a quarterback for the 49ers and is now in the league as an assistant coach with the Cleveland Browns. So you talk to Luke Musgrave, who they gave number 88, on how his introduction to the LaFleur offensive playbook has been going so far this weekend. It's been good. Uh, it's fairly similar 
uh, to my college playbook with the pro-style offense. Obviously, it's a little different, but kind of getting to know the terminology and understand the route concepts, but uh, it's been really good. I like it. Just getting comfortable around the facility, getting to know all the guys, getting to know the coaches, um, and kind of getting back into football, which I've been waiting for. Um, you know, I mean, Mike, you know, as far as getting back into coaching and all that kind of stuff, when you start to talk and listen about that and about some of the guys he's got around him, that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, when you start to talk to guys that have a vast expression of football rather than just the play that's in front of them, I, I like that kind of stuff. And, and and here's the other thing. When you when you get into all of this with uh, a lot of the new guys that are coming through the doors, the one thing you're going to find is this new, refreshed diversity of opinion of thoughts and it's not uh the focus of what's it going to be like to catch passes from aaron Rodgers. you know what i mean that's an excellent point and also i thought of that too as much as we've talked about the value of experience that you know with no Cobb and no mercedes and all these other guys these guys are going to have to establish their own identity and form, you know, new bonds. And you don't have to worry about, well, are you loyal to Rodgers or you're one of the long guys waiting for Love's turn. It's, I mean, that's all gone. That's all flushed out. The last four or five years, good, bad, or indifferent, um, it's, a, it's a new cast in there. And so you talk to this Musgrave kid, um, who already sounds like he, like an NFL quarterback or something, a tight end. Um, he talked about the importance on going out there and get to know, like, his fellow classmates, like, Tucker Craft, and I think he's kind of in competition with that guy. They're not, the, not necessarily the best of friends. And our outside linebacker, the first round pick out of Iowa, Lucas Van Ness. Me and Tucker and some of the other tight ends have gotten along. Uh, Van Ness and I uh, had a few conversations, so it's obviously still still uh, uh, pretty early in the relationships, but it's been really cool. And Green Bay's awesome. It's, uh, it's I think it's my kind of town. Um, it's a smaller town, but but big market, awesome fans pretty amazing um driving past tile town was just kind of breathtaking and seeing the facility and uh, the stadium is pretty amazing i i you know there's always an awe to coming into green bay which many consider to be the mecca of the nfl mike outside uh, from outside looking in it's I, I would assume to see any stadium that you're about to play in as a rookie is fascinating but to be drafted by the packers or say a team like the steelers uh, you know, you, you talk about some of the founding, like the New York Giants to, to land there. I mean, it's it's to any incoming rookie, it is fascinating, it is awe-inspiring, and, and all that. Uh, so, you know, again, that's why I go back to it's one of the reasons you kind of like to have some of those veterans around to say, hey, th- this is what you look at, but this is what you do once you get inside the walls. Billy, here's the other thing. If you pulled up the Lambeau Field today, the the image is almost like it looks rebuilding because – the stadium is surrounded by cranes. There are four huge, giant cranes. What are they doing? Well, first of all, they're changing the scoreboards. There's just a skeleton up there where the scoreboards used to be at the north and south end of the football field. And then off to the east end between Lambeau Field and the Don Hudson Center and Oneida Street there, they're almost done. I'd say about 80% done with the all-new coaches' offices. It looks like they've built a high school and put it next to the stadium. So coaches' offices up there in the second or third floor, and then more player meeting rooms and players to hang out, and then the underground parking for the players. So they're almost done with all that stuff. Um, but one guy that you're standing out there in the field and you're looking at it, working at these two young quarterbacks, Danny Etling, who's going to back up Love, 
and then there's Sean Clifford kid that they uh, drafted out of Penn State, is Tom Clements. And I thought, now, isn't this ironic? Because Luke Getze gets the offensive coordinator job with the Bears. And so Rodgers, another one of these hand-picked guys, Rodgers tells LeFleur, you should bring Tom Clements back in here. You know, he, he helped me a lot. This is the guy that I trust in my in my room, you know, to get through this 2022 campaign and everything. So I asked LaFleur, why did you te- keep Tom Clements at quarterback coach for Jordan Love? Yeah, I think um, just going back, you know, prior to Tom coming here and just how uh, Aaron would praise him and, and give him so much credit in his own development. I think anytime you got a player like that, especially uh, of that talent and how much you respect a guy like Aaron, uh, you always listen to that. So, and then just watching him last year, I think Jordan's made some huge strides. I really do. And I think a lot of it is a credit to Tom and, and just, he knows how to train these guys. He knows how to drill them. And um, he's very, very consistent. Uh, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And he, he just, as matter of fact, and I think um, there's no doubt. I asked Jordan after the season how he felt about him, and he said he, he loved Tom and thought he did a hell of a job helping him, you know, develop over the course of the year. And so, I, for me, it was a no-brainer. It's just whether or not Tom wanted to come back. So I'm happy he wanted to be here, and um, you know, we're lucky to have him. And he does a great yeah. job too, not only with the quarterbacks, but just helping out with our offense and, and bringing suggestions and, and great ideas. And, um, you know, it, it's been it's been a fun process getting to know him and just the standards that he holds that room to. And, and um, he does a hell of a job. Uh, Mike, uh, first of all, I'm glad that Tom Clements came back. It seemed like at least that, um, you know, Jordan Love seemed in some way, shape or form to progress under him. The other aspect of this is you kind of feel sorry as Tom Clements takes over, you know, new younger guys, not only Jordan Love as a starter, but I, I kind of was reading the story on Sean Clifford and the fact that, oh, by the way, he ended up with Aaron Rodgers' old locker and all that kind of stuff. And, I, I, I mean, I, I understand not having Rodgers in that locker room and looking off to your right when you walk through and you don't see the, the placard that says Rodgers. But you feel bad for a guy like that to go, oh, by the way, this is the locker you got. And that's all the questions you're going to answer, you know? Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, I remember when Favre left. You know, they just had a Packers nameplate up there for months. I think Brett Good, a long snapper, eventually got the Favre locker. But no, they put this kid. They drafted you know at quarterback out of Penn State. Uh, so we asked Sean Clifford, number eight is what he's wearing. So how many times you've been told today by you know the media that that's hey, did you know that this is Rogers' locker? And who was the first reporter to tell him? Pretty much the whole swarm came over, and so it was the media. It was the well, no. Oh, you're saying in general? Yeah, like. Oh well, then that's probably over ten. Okay. <laughs> and who was the first one that said? Hey. It was well, actually, when I came up on my top thirty visit, I was I got to come in here and I saw the locker with his name with with Aaron's name on it, and I did. So when I came in here, I didn't know. I will say this though, um, you know, I'm. I'm First and foremost, just blessed to be a Green Bay Packer and be in the NFL. That's what I really am excited about. You know, secondly, obviously, I understand, you know, who was in here before, and I and I, I respect, you know, everything about that. But at the same time, you know, I came in, and I found my name on the on the, the plate, and I and I sat down. Are you okay with this, or is it kind of creepy? Like I said, I just came in and sat down. So, you know, it's a it's it's a locker to me, and I'm I'm 
just excited to be in the locker room with these guys. In the as long as you see your name, right? I mean, that's that's all that matters for me, just being in the NFL, being having this opportunity, one that I've dreamed about for so long, you know, to have it as a reality. That's all that is Can really. Can you tell you where Favre's locker is? Uh, I get to be the first. It's over there. The punter's got <laughs> Nice. Got it out. How's that? That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> You know where Favre's at? Favre's locker is down in Mississippi, according to Ted Thompson. <laughs> Good stuff. Mike Clemens on board. We're going to wrap it up with Mike coming up next to the Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Water out of a fire hose. Welcome back to the program. Wrapping things up with Mike Clements, who was up at the uh, rookie, the rookie orientation this weekend in Green Bay, and uh, you know, which is a terrific description for guys that are trying to learn the entire system. You've got uh, Anders Carlson, Mike, uh, another one that uh, you talk about a guy that is taking over for an icon. He is coming in and taking Mason Crosby's old locker. So. You know, you assume Mason's not coming back unless things go horrifically wrong. But just uh, it's the really weird changing of the guard inside that oblong-shaped locker room, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mason Crosby locker's been there 16 years, and now here's this young kid that they picked out of Auburn in the sixth round, whose brother, by the way, David, happened to be the place kicker for the Raiders when Rich Passaccia was there. And so Carlson said, you know, this is, uh, Green Bay was one of the top spots where he wanted to land. I mean, Green Bay was a great situation, uh, and when you kind of looked at the landscape of kicking, there was there's a lot of open spots. Honestly, it was a great great year for kickers coming out of college, and Green Bay was definitely definitely my top pick looking in the draft, and just just the good things I've heard about the program in total, and and you know, Rich as well. Mike uh, Luke Van, Lucas Van Ness, uh, apparently he kind of had a lot of people going, "Damn, this guy's like a chiseled Adonis, huh?" That, and you know, he's. He's living the life. I mean, the house in Fontana where he lit, waited for the draft, going to Iowa, going to proactive sports, working with a bunch of NFL players. Certainly if you he's have a Cole huge Com- package. Yeah, that too. He's dating <laughs> Cole Komet's sister, uh, the tight end for the Bears. But he says, no, nah, I'm a blue-collar guy. I grew up very blue-collar. Um, that's me and my dad's from small-town Iowa. Um, I went to an Iowa game when I was little. I remember touching the helmets. And... Uh, I was a little bit of an under-recruited guy, a little undersized. I felt that the strength program would develop me into an NFL-caliber player. Uh, Coach Ferentz, you know, he's had over, you know, winning 500 seasons for I don't know how long now. I'd say 15-plus. So he knows how to win. He knows what it takes to win. Um, and he knows how to develop guys, and I felt that's what I needed. You're, you're a kid on the field, and you get to touch a Hawkeye helmet. That's pretty cool. Yes, awesome. All right, so everything we talked about about your career as a Hawkeye, and we mentioned, uh, you know, his – his girlfriend happens to be the sister of Colin McComet. That gets the most hits on the Internet. Yep. So how'd you meet Frankie? You know, she's actually from Barrington, um, and I didn't know her until I went to the University of Iowa. Uh, she goes to Iowa as well, and uh, we met through some similar friends, and we've been dating for about a year. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, people have been eating that up a little bit, but I have a great relationship with their family and Cole, and I'm excited to see him out in the field this year. Interesting. Everybody's got, a, everybody, everybody's got an interesting story, Mike, right? Right. I mean, you got uh, Van Ness hanging out with NFL players getting ready for the combine. And then you got Grant DuBose from Charlotte, who, he, you know, his program got shut down for a year for, for COVID. And he's working three or four different part-time jobs to make ends meet, including uh, DoorDash. He also says, 
uh, because he's got a good arm as a receiver. He can also be a long snapper. Uh, if it's going to get me on the roster, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I long snapped in high school and also did my freshman year, too, as well. So, um, you know, like I said, if it's going to, you know, help me make the roster, then I'm all open for it. As a fellow delivery hustler, any good stories during your DoorDash days? Um, nothing crazy, you know, other than wanting to take a fry out, you know, or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you smell the food and, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you just want to, you know, take a little piece off the top. Oh, no. So, so it does happen. Dash, it's not a myth. If, yeah. If you order DoorDash, your delivery guy might be a future NFL receiver. You know what I'm saying? Or he might be eating your food on the way to your house, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> Good stuff, Mike. Uh, enjoy it. We'll talk again uh, real soon. I appreciate it as always. Uh, that'll wrap up our Monday edition of the Bill Michael Show. Thanks to our friends at the Bay Motel Green Bay. Bay Motel, quiet, cozy, comfortable. Go to baymotelgreenbay.com. They bring you Mike Clemens reports. And we can't thank them enough for that. The Bay Motel in Green Bay, they are just awesome people. And the Bay Family Restaurant is even better. Monday's in the books. Four more yet to go. Who knows what tomorrow's going to hold. Time for us to go. Have a good one. Salute.